our scriptures today and turn to the book of Genesis. Today we are in Genesis 21. Abraham and Sarah have settled outside of the city of Gerar, probably about 25 miles away from the city of Gerar. And we are going to have tension resolved today. And so read with me as we read Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse 1 through the end of the chapter, verse 34. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart by themselves? 
He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba, because two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Let's pray. Our God and Father above, we do approach your holy word and we ask you to speak to us today. Speak to us through this word, speak to us through my words. Remind us of how you would have us change, remind us of how you have worked in history to bring about salvation. Remind us of how you are the holy God and we are called to be holy like you. Search our hearts, search our minds, change us so that we might be more and more like you, more and more remade in the image of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. After The Empire Strikes Back came out, George Lucas took a lot of grief for the way the movie ended. It, it ended kind of on a low note where all the main characters were, were in trouble. Um, he took a lot of grief. The first movie, Star Wars, A New Hope, ended on a very hopeful note. Um, there was victory, there was celebration, and yet Empire Strikes Back ended on a very dark and disturbing note. And Lucas reminded them of the structure of a three-act play. In a three-act play, in the first act, you introduce all the characters, and you introduce them in such a way that the villain is seen as bad, and you dislike the villain, and the good guys are seen as good, and you embrace the good guys as the hero of the story. He said, but in the second act, you put everybody in trouble. You create tension in the second act that must be resolved in the third act. Today, we see the third act when it comes to Sarah. There's been a tension ever since Sarah was introduced to us in Genesis chapter 11. Ten chapters ago, we were told Sarah was barren and had given Abraham no children. And then what are we told in Genesis chapter 12 at the very next chapter? We are told that God has promised to Abraham that he will have children. We're told in Genesis 17, 16 and 17 that those children will come through Sarah. So we've been introduced to Abraham and Sarah and God working through them. And there's been this tension that has been with us. But the tension is resolved today as we see that God is a promise-keeping God. As we look at today's story, we are opened up and, and given these words. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. God keeps His promise to Sarah. He visited Abraham, He visited Sarah, and while Abraham was a hundred years old and Sarah was ninety years old, they had a son. They had a son and they named him Isaac. Now if you remember, Isaac is a word that means he laughs or laughter in the nominal form of that particular word. It reminds us back to Abraham in Genesis 17 where God, where Abraham is there before God and he says, look, I have my son Ishmael. I have my servant Eleazar. They will be my heirs. And God says, no, they will not be your heirs. Ishmael is not the son of promise, but you will have a son through Sarah. What did Abraham do? When God said you will have a son through Sarah, 
He laughed. And God says, because you have laughed, you name your son Isaac. In chapter 18, God and His two angelic messengers on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah meet Abraham and Sarah there in their tents beneath the tree, the oaks of Mamre. And God is talking to Abraham and He says, I'll be back within a year and Sarah will bear for you a son. Sarah, who's eavesdropping in the, in the backside of the tent, what does she do? She laughs. Why does she laugh? She says, my husband's old. Actually, she says, I'm old and my husband's even older. How are we going to be children? The way of woman is no longer with me. The way of women is no longer with me. She says, I can't have children anymore. I've gone through that life change that all women go through. What does God say to her? God says with humans, nothing is possible, but with God, everything is possible or in the negative, nothing is impossible. And then we're, we're left aside with that for a couple chapters. The tension is even made greater at the end of chapter 20 as Abraham and Sarah leave the city of Gerar with the women there having children where Sarah is still barren. And here God remembers Sarah. It says God is gracious to Sarah. Uh, and the, literally it says God visited Sarah. Um, so we have this idea of, of God coming upon Sarah and enlivening her body, enlivening Abraham's body, so that the promised child might come to them. And Sarah laughs once more. But it's not a laughter of disbelief. It's a laughter of joy. After having this promise for 25 plus years that she would bear a child, after laughing at that promise, after seeing an entire city that could not have children finally have children, Sarah is given a child and she laughs. The nations will laugh with me. The joy that she feels at being given the promised child that God had promised her for these many, many years. She not only says, uh, will the nations laugh at me because I am nursing my child? She says, the nations will laugh with me and who would have thought that I would nurse children? Now, scriptures only tell us here that Sarah is, only has Isaac. Abraham has other children after Sarah passes away. So why would Sarah say that she is going to nurse children? What's the promise she's been given, that Abraham's been given, that would come through her? Kings and nations. The promised chosen nation of Israel will come through her. And Sarah's faith has grown so much since the end of chapter 19 that she says, not only am I nursing this child, but I am nursing nations through this child. And so she affirms the promises that God had given to Abraham as well as to her. God affirms that he trusts God and listens to God in naming him, naming Isaac, Isaac, and also in circumcising him in the eighth day. And so in these first seven verses, we are reminded that God is a promise keeping God by keeping his promise to Sarah. But we also learn in the next few pages, the next through verse, few verses, verse 8 through 21, that God is going to keep his promise to Hagar and Ishmael. 
Now, about the time that Isaac is three years old, that was typically the age of weaning during this time, was about three years old, Abraham throws a feast. It was a big day in the life of a child when he's weaned. And he moves from the total care of his mother and into, into the care of his father and being trained for manhood. There's this great feast, but at this feast, Sarah noticed something. She noticed that um, Ishmael is mocking Isaac. Now, it's an interesting play on words there where it says mocking. Uh, the word laughter shows up seven times in today's passage. Shows up six times in the first eight verses, and or seven verses, and one time here. The joy, the laughter, Isaac's name repeated several times for us in this particular passage um, are all from the root laughter. But so is mocking. The, the, the idea here is that he mocks malevolently or he laughs malevolently. He's picking on Isaac. He's putting Isaac down. He's trying to assert his, his rightful place as the oldest son, his rightful place as the rightful heir as the oldest son. And Sarah sees this happening and she understands the promises that God has given to Abraham. And she says, get rid of that slave woman and her son for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. It's the words that God gave to Abraham back in chapter 17. Now Abraham is distressed. Now Abraham responds differently than he does in chapter 16 when when it is Hagar who is mocking Sarah because Hagar has conceived and Sarah has not. And Sarah says, get rid of Hagar. We're given the impression in that chapter that, that Abraham immediately got rid of Hagar. He listened to what his wife had told him. In this chapter, he's distressed. Why is he distressed? It's because he's got to kick his son out of his household. Imagine how distressed he'll be in the next chapter when God tells him to take Isaac and sacrifice him. But that's for a different show, another day. But he's distressed over that. He's concerned for his son. He shows that he has grown as well. But God comes to him and gives him two reasons why he should not be distressed and do what Sarah had told him. The first reason is that Isaac is the promised child. Isaac is the one through whom the offspring will come. And the second reason he should he should let Hagar and Ishmael go is because God will keep his promise to Hagar to make Ishmael a great nation. So early the next morning, Abraham takes, gives food and water to Sarah and Sarah leaves with the boy. Now, some scholars have looked at this use of the word boy here and said, OK, well, something's just off. Because Hagar is no longer a boy in the cultural realm here. He would have been a man. He'd have been about 16 years old. He'd have been 13 or 14 when Isaac was born three years later. So somewhere between 16 and 17, how can we use the word boy to describe Hagar here? Well, it's actually a word that literally means the inexperienced one. It doesn't necessarily mean just boy, somebody who is young. God in 1 Kings 3 comes to Solomon and says, look, pray for me and I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon says, hey, I am but a little child. Give me wisdom, he says in 1 Kings 3, 7. Do you know how old Solomon was when he made that prayer? He was 40 when he said, Lord, I am but a boy. Same word that is used here to describe Ishmael. 
Ishmael was inexperienced in living on his own. He was inexperienced in traveling through the desert. He was inexperienced in leading a nation of people. And so that's what we're told here. It's not that he's a young tot and, and the author of Genesis is getting his math wrong. It's that he is inexperienced in living life on his own. He's lived sheltered by his mother and his father for a time. And so she takes this inexperienced boy out into the desert. And what happens when you're out in the desert with a limited supply of water? It runs out, does it not? And so she abandons. When it says she places him under the tree, it's basically saying she's abandoning him because she can't stand to see him die of thirst and exposure. And she goes a little way off, and the angel comes to her and says, Hagar, why are you upset? Why are you afraid? Some people think this is a reminder to the last time she was in the desert. And she was told to name her son Ishmael because Ishmael means God hears. God hears the cries of those who cry out to him. Hagar had cried out at that time. She was pregnant. She was thirsty. She was dying of exposure, and she cried out to God, and God heard her. And she even named the place, this is where God heard me. This is where God listened to me and acted on my behalf. And the angel comes to her and says, what's the matter? You've got your son over there who is named God hears. Why aren't you crying out to me? But apparently in some way Ishmael did. And Ishmael cried out and God heard and God rescued and God opened Hagar's eyes to see the well. And this is actually a pretty good description of humanity outside of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're wandering around in this desert of a world. They're wandering around thirsty, looking for something to fill that thirst that they don't know what it is. And sometimes they can't see it right in front of them. Maybe they've been sitting in church for all their life, or maybe they've got a friend who sits, has sat in church all their life and has been telling them over and over and over again, here is the living water to fill your thirst. But they don't see it. God, through the Holy Spirit, has to act on their behalf to open their eyes, to cure their blindness so that they might see the source of the living water. And so God keeps His promise to Ishmael. He sets him up. Hagar finds for him a wife uh, for Egypt, uh, from Egypt, and he begins to have children and set up and become the nation that he was promised to become. And finally, we see that God keeps his promise to bless the nations through Abraham. Verses 22 through 34 talk about this, this interaction between Abimelech. Remember, king of Gerar, we meet him, met him in the last chapter where Abraham took Sarah into the city of Gerar. He lied about Sarah being his sister, got um, all the, the people of Gerar almost in trouble with God, but God kept them from sinning. Abraham and the, or Abimelech and the leader of his armies, Phicol, come to Abraham and say, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show me in the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness. Kindness is that covenant word, covenant faithfulness that I have shown to you. You've got a shepherd on one hand, and you've got a king of a city with the general of all his armies on the other hand. Who is in the position of power here? You would think it's the king, wouldn't you? And the commander, the general of his armies. But notice who asks for a treaty. Of whom? 
Abimelech, the king of the city, asked for a treaty with Abraham. Abraham must have been one powerfully rich shepherd. And how did he get to be powerful and rich? It's because God had blessed him. He had gotten up from the land where he lived and he had gone to the land where God was going to show him. And God said, I'll bless you with all things that you can. I'll bless you with the land. I'll bless you with children. And I'll bless you with the means to bless other nations. And God had done that very thing. God had blessed Abraham greatly. Now, Abraham didn't fully have the land. He was living kind of in a in a a, a shaky relationship with Abimelech. He was living there about 25 miles away from Gerar. He did have a child. And Abimelech comes to him and says, look, I've allowed you to live in my land. You've got to promise me that you won't, you know, deal falsely with me. That covers lying to me, which Abimelech had reason to, to ask Abraham not to lie with him. That also covered Abraham not attacking Gerar and taking the city for his own. This is a treaty of non-aggression. This is a peace treaty between two, two people. And Abraham is the strong party in this. And so what does Abraham do? He gives flocks. He gives sheep. He gives goats to Abimelech. Some of those were probably sacrificed because most covenants, most, most of these treaties were, were sealed in blood, typically the blood of an animal. So many of those might have been sacrificed, but those came from Abraham. They didn't come from Abimelech. It's the powerful king. It's the powerful person in the treaty that provides the animals. It's the powerful person in the treaty that sets the parameters. And he does. He says, look, these are my wells. Your people keep attacking my wells. If you want this, this, this treaty to be in place, you keep your people away. And by the way, here's a gift. And if you accept this gift, it means you accept my terms of the treaty. God has blessed Abraham. God has blessed Sarah. God has blessed Hagar and Ishmael. And in all doing all of those things, we are reminded that God is a God who keeps His promises. And that brings us back to verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. God's graciousness is God's keeping of His promise. But this isn't the biggest tension for us. God resolves the tension here for Sarah. Sarah in chapter 11 is barren and unable to bear children. In chapter 21, some 25 or so years later, God meets Sarah and keeps His promise. But this isn't the biggest unresolved tension in Scripture. The biggest unresolved tension up to this point in Scripture is found for us in Genesis 3. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Paul oftentimes is difficult to understand, but he pulls from this story that we have read today to remind us that God has resolved that particular tension from us. In Galatians 4, Paul is dealing with people who have come into the churches of Galatia after Paul has left. Paul has told them the gospel as he describes it in 1 Corinthians 15. The message I gave you first of all, that Christ died on the cross for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried. He rose again from the dead according to Scripture. And He was seen by a bunch of people. That's the message He proclaimed to the Galatians. That's the message that's all you had to believe. Christ and Him crucified in order to be reconciled with God. But these people came behind Paul and said, 
okay, yeah, that's good, but not good enough. You need to add specifically circumcision, but generally the law to whatever Christ, whatever Christ did for you. You have to do this to really be saved. And Paul writes back into that letter and he says, look, there's, there's two covenants. There's a covenant of law, which is signified by Hagar. Hagar brought about a child by the natural way. Remember, Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham. Abraham slept with Hagar. Hagar got pregnant right off the bat. He says she signifies those who pursue holiness and reconciliation with God by the law. Did the inheritance come through Ishmael? No. Paul says, neither will reconciliation with God come through pursuit of the law. Why? Because you can't keep it. None of us can keep it perfectly. Paul says, true reconciliation with God comes through the child of promise. Comes through the child conceived by the Spirit. Was Isaac that child of promise? For Sarah, yes. For Genesis 3, no. But one of his descendants would be. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a descendant of Isaac, and he is truly the child of promise. And because of that, we can have freedom from sin and we can have reconciliation with God, not on our own merit, but by the work of God in our life and the work of God through Jesus Christ. And what is the promise that is given there? It says, be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. The church is the bride of Christ and filled with the children of God. Those who are children of the promise through the child of the promise, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, are we a child of the law or are we a child of promise? Are we a descendant of Ishmael on our own merit? Or are we a descendant of Isaac on the merit of Christ? Let us pray. Our God and Father above, resolve the tension of, of, of discord with you in our lives through the work of the gospel. Resolve the tension of those who are seeking living waters in cisterns dug with human hands instead of seeking living waters uh, that flow from the well, your well. Open the eyes of those who need to know you by the power of the Spirit to see the living water flowing right there in front of them and give them the power to embrace. Lord, remind us that we, as your children, are filled with the living water as well. And remind us that you are a God who keeps his promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.